every week we talk to dozens of SaaS founders and operators about the inner workings of growing a business, from the day-to-day minutiae, to inspiration, to the tough decisions, and the mistakes made along the way. You're listening to the SaaS Open Mic Podcast. My name is Olivia Jarvis. Head over to chartmogul.com for more content like this and easy access to your SaaS metrics in just a few clicks. That's chartmogul.com. This week's guest is the founder and CEO of FE International, Thomas Smale. Thomas began building and selling online companies in his early 20s as an interest. When he proved to have a natural talent for increasing the value of these businesses, this became his full-time career. Over the last decade, Thomas has grown FE International into an award-winning global M&A advisor of SaaS, e-commerce, and content businesses. FE International has completed acquisitions for thousands of founders, owners, and acquirers, and advised on over $500 million in lifetime acquisitions. Here's my interview with Thomas Smale. All right, Thomas, thanks so much for joining me today. Like we do with all of our guests, why don't we start with who you are and where you are? Yeah, thanks, Olivia. So I'm the CEO of a company called FE International. I'm personally based in San Francisco, but our head office is in New York. Uh, we also have an office in London um, and a small team in Miami as well. So we're very much of all over the Western world. Awesome. So FE International, you guys are obviously, you know, all over the world, as you just said. Tell us a little bit about FE International and about the business on the whole. Sure. So we're a M&A business or mergers and acquisitions, and we're an advisory firm. So I guess uh, the non-technical way of describing that is we help people sell their business when they want to exit. And I guess on the, the other side of that for us is working with people who are looking to acquire a business or multiple businesses, maybe, mm-hmm. and helping them establish what might be a, a good fit to acquire. Uh, and we work with a real range of businesses, firstly, across the world. We have clients in literally every continent, pretty much every country at this stage we've, we, we've worked with. We generally work on businesses, valuation anywhere from $100,000 through to $100 million. And that's changing or increasing all of the time. So pretty wide reach. Anything in the SaaS or software, e-commerce, content, online content space um, we work with. So a range of different business models and all different, I guess, stages and size as well. Very cool. Now, it sounds like you have a pretty diverse background and I'm curious to kind of understand you a bit better. How did you get into this? How did you find your way into mergers and acquisitions? Yeah, so, my, so honestly, if you said to me, 11 years ago, so I also founded the company, what's mergers and acquisitions? I would have, obviously you can't see video if you're listening to this recording, but it would have been a very blank face. I, I wouldn't really know what it was. So at, at the time I was at college, I did do a study business. So I do have a, I guess a business background in that sense, but I was looking for ways to make some extra, extra money. I guess these days it's called a side hustle back then. It didn't really have a name. It was just make some money to pay your Pay, pay your way through college. Um, right. Started buying and selling domains and small websites. Uh, and back then, if you go back 11 years, it wasn't really, wasn't really the same mature level of market or somewhat mature market there is now. So it was buy something for $50, sell it for 200 nothing very big. At the time, there were a few companies out there that could help you sell a business, but not really that many. So after doing it for a while, I built up a little bit of a reputation on a couple of marketplaces that existed back then that don't really exist now. And people started to come to me and they're like, hey, Thomas, I've got this this website. I've seen you're good at selling them. Can you help me sell? So 
that's yeah. that's what I started doing. And then after a while, I realized that's actually mergers and acquisitions or business brokering. There are lots of different ways you can describe it. So at the time I was buying and selling myself, fell into helping other people. And then that's really where it scaled. I realized that firstly, I didn't have any money. I had none of my own capital. So it made sense to help other people. There was a, a big gap in the market at the time. The industry was much less mature than it is now, but there was still a huge amount of demand. So from there, I just continued scaling it. My business partner joined a couple of years into the business and he had worked in investment banking for two years at Citigroup. So when Ismail, my business partner, joined, he had been working on billion-dollar acquisitions. And at the time, I was working on $100,000 acquisitions. So we basically applied everything he had learned on much, much larger deals and applied it on smaller deals. And we very much scaled from there. So I guess over the last 11 years, the I guess the professional journey has really just been learning how to work on bigger and bigger and more complex deals over over time. Very cool. I think that that's an interesting kind of angle to take um, and to get into it. And obviously, the industry has changed and shifted a lot since you've been in the mergers and acquisition space, and you've probably seen a lot. We talk a lot on this podcast about business growth, and we talk about what actually matters in ensuring that a company is growing or scaling at a certain pace for from the lens of business acquisition. Now, there are various opinions and strategies and focus points when it comes to kind of scaling a business for a sale. And obviously, yourself and your business partner have been a part of this to a large degree from a variety of different angles. Now, I'm kind of keen to get your interest or get your read on this. Let's talk about scaling a business and getting it to the place that is ready for acquisition. What are things that founders can keep in mind when thinking about and scaling a business? So I think... At a very base level, if you're thinking about an acquisition, firstly, you need to establish what you're actually trying to achieve and what you're trying to reach. Because yes, scale just means growing something. But is that to a billion? Is that to 10? Like both of them are still scaling, but they're not necessarily, don't necessarily require the same resources for each. So I'd say at the very beginning of your journey, and that, that might, this can also change as well. Because for me, if you ask me 10 years ago, I genuinely believed, and my business partner still, he still jokes with me about this. I genuinely believed the entire size of the market was about the maximum you could possibly build is a company that made a million dollars a year. And at the time, that was probably true. Um, and we're substantially past that now. We have been for 10 years. Um, but at right. the time, I believe that was the, the size of the market. So you have to establish what you're trying to achieve with your scale. So mm. often that starts. So, I like to think start with a, a valuation goal and work backwards. Whether you want to get to a million dollar valuation, 10 million, billion, trillion, there's not a right or wrong answer. It's nothing you can tell anyone or I can tell anyone what that number should be. So you have to establish yourself. And then that helps establish what you should do to scale. Because it might be if you want to get to a billion dollars, you're probably going to have to raise money and you're probably going to have to hire a lot of people. A lot of the clients we work with on the lower end, they want to scale their business, but they don't want to hire anyone. They don't want to manage mm. people. So for them, their decisions might be a little bit different. It might be, well, maybe I have to bring a, a marketing agency in or a paid ads agency, SEO agency or whatever it might be because they don't want to manage the people. So you have to make the personal decision how big you want to get and what you're willing to do to get there. Because if you're, if you're not willing to manage people and you don't think you're a good manager and you're not willing to learn, then it's going to be very difficult for you to grow a really big business. And conversely, there's, it's not necessarily a bad thing if you don't want to manage people. 
you just have to accept the fact that your business is not going to be as big. So scaling, I think a lot of people just think scaling has to be a kind of linear or exponential exercise, but that's not necessarily the case. And that, that might change as you go along, like your life might change, circumstances might change. You might decide you want to build a bigger business or a smaller business than you originally started out. Um, but I think, yeah, if we just ignore all of the different strategies you can use to scale, like you have to start with like what's what's right for you, what's right for your business, and what's right for your eventual goals. I like the work backwards piece. Um, I think that that's really, really cool. A lot of people, when I speak, I mean, I'm I'm knee deep in people's subscription metrics all the time. And people are constantly asking me what I've seen or what market trends are or whatever it might be that will help them scale. And I often take the approach of like, let's work backwards from the goal. What are your OKRs this year? What are each business units trying to achieve? And that usually helps people kind of get into their metrics and focus. But it's an interesting angle to take between, you know, looking at something quite small in your business, but then also looking at your business on the whole. I think that's a really, really strong point that you make there. Are there common pitfalls or things that kind of distract founders when they're trying to scale a business? I mean, obviously, maybe it's looking at the wrong numbers or thinking about the wrong goal. But what's your read on that? Yeah, so I think it usually is focusing on the wrong thing. And I would say that most founders, very much human nature, tend to focus on what they're good at and what they're comfortable with. So we work a lot of very technical founders. And if you were to look at their average workday, they'll spend 95% of their time working on something product related, 5% of their time working on marketing and everything else. Whereas if you work with someone whose background might be sales, they'll spend 95% of their time on sales no time on product. If you're building a technical business, I think you have to be somewhere in the middle. And if you're not going to split your time up reasonably evenly between product marketing and everything else, then you need to hire someone or have a business partner who can take on the other half. So it's a very big kind of area I think detracts from growth where people just, they're not actually, it sounds stupid, but they're not actually focused on growing. They're just like, well, yeah, I rolled out 10 new features this this month, but I'm not a marketer, not a salesperson. Therefore, I did no marketing and sales and I have no new customers or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So lots of people do that. And then you can have people all ends of the spectrum. Some people spend way too much time on sales and ultimately their product sucks and then everyone ends up churning. And in two years time, you don't have a, a business. So going back to the previous point about scale, that's also, are you actually willing to hire and manage people because particularly as you grow your business you'll realize that even as a founder like yes you have to wear many hats but you're not going to be the best you shouldn't be the best in the business at any single thing so you need to be able to bring people in who are good at different things and so you do not get distracted by the things that will hinder growth and i think also what you realize most founders this is not really in anything that people talk about in kind of how to build a business but i mean we're nearly a hundred people now as as team grows, as CEO or founder, you'll spend a huge amount of your time working on things that were not on your to-do list when you had five people or 10 people. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's HR, it's admin, it's culture, it's recruiting, which is significant when you have 100 people. When you have five, it's it's not even on your, your radar. So your responsibilities will change. Um, so if you look at my day today, I'd say I don't spend anywhere near as much time as I probably should on growth, but I know I have a team there who are working on 
growth-related things. So that's probably the main thing that distracts is literally just founders tend to focus on what they like and what they're good at. And that's not always necessarily correlated to something that's going to help grow the business. What's well, not mm-hmm. going to be the biggest area to grow the business at least. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I hear you on the technical founder piece. As I said, we spend a lot of time in people's metrics and I often will say, you know, what's going on with new business? Where where are your leads coming from? And, and that's a hard question sometimes for technical founders to answer. When a business approaches you or approaches FB International to perhaps work with you guys to try and get their business sold, do you guys work with them on understanding what parts of the business perhaps are lacking focus or, you know, if they are one of these very amazing products where the product is great and it's releasing new features, how do you guys work with these types of businesses to help them identify where they might have areas that they could spend some more time before they go through an acquisition process? Yeah, so for us... So the way our service works, we only get paid when we sell your business, but almost all of the work we do is prior to the actual sale itself. I wouldn't say that's the easy part, but that's right at the very end of the process. We we generally spend years working with people before they actually come around to selling and advising on exactly the stuff. So we start with evaluation and as part of the valuation process, a big part of our proprietary valuation model we have internally is looking at data from other deals so we have over a thousand businesses we've sold and we pull in tons of if you like data it's interesting if you don't it's not very interesting pull in tons and tons of data from all the different businesses we sold and then we can compare it so we can say hey for a business of uh, your size you spend too many hours on the business or not enough hours or your growth rate is slower than we would expect or your revenue churn is higher than we'd expect so we, we benchmark lots of different metrics. I guess the kind of things that Chart Mogul would have and you would track, but we would also look at um, some other things that are not necessarily SaaS metrics as such. So we look at tons of those things. We'll then, when we present evaluation to the, the founder or the seller or the, the team, whoever it might be that we're working with, we'll go through that. So we'll say, hey, look, here's where you're outperforming your peers. Here's where you're underperforming. And then from there, like I said, going back to expectations, that tends to be the big decision maker for what the the founder or founders do from there. Because if they're at say $10 million valuation today and they would like to achieve $20 million in say five years time, chances are we don't actually need to give them much advice. They're probably on the right track already and they Mm. can continue working towards that goal without really changing a huge amount, just organic growth. If they're at $1 million and they want to get to a $100 million valuation, then there's probably some quite drastic things that need to change or back to your earlier question, need to scale quite dramatically to, to get there. But we will at least set the expectations at the start so they know what they're working towards. Um, and then that will help kind of establish what they're going to need to do to get to they want to get to. We don't necessarily explicitly advise on the exact strategies they should do to execute. While I'd be in a position to, as a founder myself, I could definitely help people. It's not our core competence. We're not a, we're not a marketing agency. We're not sales consulting or anything like that. We can point people in the right direction, but our job is very much to set very clear expectations of where someone is today and what they might need to do to get to wherever they want to in the future. Whether that's using hypothetical numbers or projections or whatever, that's all something we can help work on with founders. That's very cool. Um, I think a lot of founders end up getting a ton of different advice on the like how to do something 
they go to their investors and their investors are like, ah, change the pricing model or do this or move from, you know, a set seat price to a usage based price or whatever it might be. But I like the idea of taking this benchmarking data and at least just creating areas of focus. The areas of focus is really where I see a ton of value for founders that really just need to figure out how to get from point A to point B, right? What is the area of the business that needs to scale? Now, let's talk about scaling your business. What does scaling for acquisition look like for you? So I think at FE International, we're very much a referral-driven business. We're very much word of mouth. The, the nature of what we do, if our average deal is in the seven-figure range, moving towards the eight-figure range, we are generally working on, a, in almost all cases, a life-changing acquisition for the founders we work with whether it's their first acquisition or their seventh, and whether it's $100,000 or $50 million, it's probably life-changing. Um, so the nature of that means that scaling for us is not just an exercise in can't go spend a million dollars in paid ads because that doesn't really necessarily help build trust. So for us, we grow very much organically. We very much rely on word of mouth, referrals, and past clients we've worked with. So I guess going back to your earlier scaling question i know that it's impossible with what we do right now to 4x our revenue in one year um it, it's just not possible the kind of business we have and the nature of what we do like quite long-term relationships that might be in a pipeline for very many years so our growth is quite say quite predictable at the beginning of the year when i set targets with the our like management team we can quite accurately predict where we're going to end up every single year just based on our existing pipeline so growth and scale for us is kind of continuing to grow kind of our, our top line revenue while continuing to replenish i guess our early pipeline with i guess things like podcasts like this is a good way to build awareness we publish a huge amount of content for early stage founders who might be they might even have a business yet they might be 10 years away from selling but i think once you get to a certain size within your industry and we're definitely one of the, the market leaders in our in our space, you have to ultimately take responsibility for growing the market as a whole as well. If you're not doing it as a market leader, then then who is? So while I would definitely not suggest to founders you should create your own category, I think that's often a very expensive and time-consuming exercise. I definitely think you can do things to help grow your industry as a whole. And you're always going to have competitors. You're not necessarily going to get on with all of them or agree exactly with how they approach things versus what you do, which is fine. But I think if you have multiple people in your industry kind of producing content and helping the industry scale, then that can help your business scale as well. So that's really what we focus on. It's getting people who are early stage, teaching them about the process and building that awareness. And then scaling the business itself is putting things in place that mean that we can continue to grow sustainably and people will continue to refer us and be happy. And I guess for us, we only get paid if a business sells. So we're the ultimate merit-based business. If we sell someone's business, almost 100% of the time they are happy because we don't, they don't pay us anything otherwise. They don't have to accept an offer if they're not happy with it. So I guess unanimously we get good feedback once we complete a sale and if not we we listen to what everything people say and we make changes to our process constantly right and are you guys working i mean it sounds like and i've talked to other people in your space and it really sounds like it's a 
it's a relationship oriented line of work. Consulting kind of is in this intersection that you play. Do you feel like sometimes you guys are spending a long time on deals that could take years to come through? And then other times you're flipping them around, you know, in weeks or months? I'd say sometimes I think if you look at the aggregate, the average amount of time we spend per deal is probably quite quite similar. But deal by deal, that could be we have a number of clients. We might sign a client that's worth, uh, say, a million dollars in fees to us with three hours of phone calls. Or, and then we might sell that business in six weeks. We might also have a business worth $100,000 to us in fees. And that might take literally eight years of conversations. And then it might go nowhere. So I guess yes and no to that. It's very much relationship-based. We don't exactly have a, like, we don't count hours per deal. So we don't have a cutoff time like, hey, Olivia, you've already called me three times now. We can't speak to you anymore unless you sign the engagement agreement. That's never really been how we've approached it philosophically. And I guess the way I think about it as well is we want to help people sell and be in a position where they're happy with their outcome. So I never want to force someone via a contract or whatever or retainer fees or what. There's lots of different ways you can structure it to make money regardless of success. I feel like that doesn't really help grow the industry because we want people to sell and be like, hey, I sold my business. It was great. I'm now going to use some of that capital to go buy another business. And then yeah. kind of just a big kind of revolving door of people constantly leaving the industry for a bit and then coming back in. And that overall helps grow the grow the pot for everyone. So that's the way we look at it. That's why we don't track hours. We could be an hour, uh, sorry, a business where we just bill hourly. Definitely could do that. It'd probably be a bit more predictable revenue-wise. Um, but we're big enough now where we do we do over 100 acquisitions every year. We've done over 1,000 in total. So the averages work out. But deal by deal, there are definitely deals that are substantially unprofitable and then deals that are more profitable than others. Very interesting. So what can people learn if they were to go to FE International's site? I mean, you said that awareness is a huge thing. What would people learn if they were to go to FE International's website and kind of dig into your content? What would they take away? Yes, I think you can learn. I think first, we have a lot of content for lots of different people. If you have a business you own, we have content around valuations. If you're looking to buy a business, we have articles about the process. And I would say almost all of our content is relevant to both sides of the table. So learning how to value a business is relevant to being a buyer or seller. If you're a seller, learning how people buy a business is also important because you can kind of understand the process and like the psychology on the other side of the table. It's very difficult, as you know, to be good at sales if you don't understand the other party. Certainly. Um, what, like the way they, the way they think about it. So like I said, we publish a huge range of content, mostly for people relatively early stage in the process. Cause I get the, it's the more technical side of things, like how actually you sell your business. That's what you're paying us for. That's mm-hmm. kind of what you're hiring the expertise for. Um, so that's usually kind of speak to us and we'll help you, but early stage. Huge amount of content. Last week, we published a kind of a, a mid-year report of what's going in the industry. What are the trends? So, are multiples going up? Are multiples going down? What business models are popular? Um, and we, like I said, we publish all of this for free. There's not a hey, you have to be a client to get access to the good stuff. It's kind of all there for anyone to to download. That's fantastic. I'll point my customers in that direction. People ask for it all the time. They're always looking for market trends. And where can people find you, Thomas? Where are you uh, chatting about these things or vocal online? Yeah, so you can usually find me like reasonably active on Twitter. My handle there's Thomas Smale, very creative. Facebook, LinkedIn, 
I'm generally on all three. Um, always feel free to reach out if people have specific questions. I'm always, ha- always happy to answer. And like I said, there's no kind of obligation to reach out. We don't do pay consulting or anything like that. So always open to talk to people regardless of what stage you might be at. Great. Well, thank you for your insights. This was exceptionally helpful. Hopefully you'll get some knocks on your door from some Chart Mogul customers or some Chart Mogul listeners rather. But thank you for your time today, Thomas. It was a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Thanks, Olivia. Really appreciate the time. If you enjoyed this week's episode of the SaaS Open Mic Podcast, leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, head over to chartmogul.com to try Chart Mogul today.